we're in a series, all right? So we're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to understand some things. So I, I, I want to, you know, I want to help you have a great family, great marriage. You know, I want you to be great parents. I want you to grow up, you know, raise great kids. Some of you are still at home and I want you to keep growing up as great kids. And so today I want to talk a little bit about design. Who designed the family? Marriage and parenthood and all that kind of stuff. Who designed the family and, and what the design is all about? I want to talk a little bit about roles today, okay? Now, do y'all know what a stool is? S-T-O-O-L? Y'all know what a stool? How many, how many legs does a stool have? How many? Three? Four? Uh, come on, you want to vote? Four? Four? Okay. Three? How about two? N- never? Ever? One? Never? Ever? Okay, now wait a minute. Oh, I got you on that, don't I? Yeah. Y'all never seen a one-legged stool? <laughs> yeah, you go into one of those old 50s-top diners, right? You know? Now, one thing you got to do, though, is you better attach it to the floor, hadn't you? All those are attached to the floor. It's kind of a pedestal instead of a leg. And, and the tool, the, the, the tool I, I know you really think there's not a two-legged stool out there. Well, when you think of an ottoman or that kind of thing, most of the time I think of a box or something, but, but I mean, you know, a footstool, that kind of a thing, and the three-legged milking stool, you know, it's, it's got its own design. It's, it's reason kind of to keep, you know, you don't want more legs down there. You're really down there, you know, if, if you're a farmer and you're milking a cow, you're down there doing, you know, some really, really serious business and you don't need a lot of extra legs in the way. That's why it's just got the three legs. And, and of course, this is what most people uh, believe, and they hid my stool. There it is. Okay. I actually had this on stage earlier. This is, this is I mean, when you say stool, this is what I think of, okay? Is the four-legged stool. Is, you're going to help me? Yeah. Is the four-legged stool right here. That's, that's what I think of. And, you know, I just bought this yesterday, and so, you know, I'm not even really sat on it to see how it sits or anything. But, yeah, it sits pretty good. It has a purpose. Just like each one of these has a purpose. And, and its purpose is all about its design. But what if I said, you know what? I don't really need all these legs. I don't need all of them. All right, how many of you guys want to be up here with me right now? Uh, Let's go ahead and take this off here. Let's flip it back over and get that one. All right, here, let me spin it around this way so I don't cut you. All right, one more. Thank you, Cliff. I mean, there are three. Yeah, you see a stool up there with three legs, right? So I'm still good, right? I'm still good. I I got three legs just like that one right there. Sure, yeah. Anybody want to sit on my stool today? You know, but the problem is, if I'm going to have a three-legged stool, I need to design it as a three-legged stool, right? I mean, because if you take a a stool that's designed to have four legs and you try to turn it into a three or a two-legged stool, imagine if I cut off another leg or two. And you try to, and you try, I mean, I saw a one-legged stool. You've seen those kind also where, you know, you know uh, the blacksmiths that, you know, shoe horses. It, it really almost looks like just a cane, that they're sitting on a cane. I mean, it is, really is just one leg. I mean, you, it's designed that way, though. When you take something that is designed to be one thing, and you try to redesign, say, nah, I'm just going to do this, I'm going to do that. 
You destroy the design. Now, now here, here's the question I've got for you. You know, talking about families. Do you want me to tell you how to destroy your family and still make it work out? Is that what you want me to, I mean, is that, that really what you want to hear? Is, is you want me to tell you how you can do it your own way and still make it work out? Or do you want, to tell you, want me to tell you how there is a perfect design for your family? And in that perfect design, everything fits, everything works, everything is, can't say that about this anymore, but everything is sturdy. I mean, you know, which do you want me to talk, talk to you about this morning? I know there are not any perfect families anywhere in the world. So there are none sitting here today either. And, and so I'm not talking about being the perfect family, but there is a perfect design. And in this perfect design, there is stability and strength. Not like this. There's stability, there's strength, there, there's everything that you need. And when, when, when we begin to take the design and mess with the design, and sometimes that happens and we don't, I mean, you know, if, if you had come up and knocked the leg out from, you know, I, I couldn't do anything, I just have to work with the best, but I took this leg off. I did it on purpose. And when we began to destroy and take apart, we, we destroyed the basis, the foundation, the strength, the des- not just the design, but the function. The function. I mean, these are designed for their function. This thing no longer functions the way it was designed to function because I've, I've destroyed the design. And when you destroy the design, you destroy the function. So let's talk about the design from Matthew chapter 19. Jesus speaks in just about three verses of Scripture right here, five things that he says right here in these verses of Scripture, and he talks about the design and where the design came from and why the design is important. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read the Scriptures? I'm going to read all this, and we'll go back and, and, and pick some things out of it. Haven't you read the Scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. I just did that, didn't I? <laughs> you know, let no one do that. Here, here's, what, here's what he begins with. He said, let's go back to the very foundation of when this all began. And how did it begin? God created this. God designed the family. He designed the family. And and so, you know, I could have gone back to Genesis where he said the words that Jesus quotes right there. And I could have gone to the words of Paul where he remembers them. But But I brought you here to the words of Jesus because I want you to see Jesus who was with God in the beginning, the Son of God, part of that Godhead, that three and one, one is three that I don't, I, I don't fully understand, but that's just what his word says. And, and Jesus was there all this time. And so he refers back to that, but he doesn't say this is how it used to be. Get that. He does not say it used to be this way. Have you not read from the beginning this is the way it was? From the beginning, the design was for a function, for a family to, to have purpose For a family to have strength, for a family to be one and to be together. From the beginning, God designed this. And he designed it for two people. Two people. Now, I know we're we're talking about family, parentheses, marriage. But we're talking about family. Family begins with two people. Not four people. Not five people. Now, I know just like you, we've seen pictures or, or, or we've been, you know, on a farm and seen a three-legged stool and we've been to a 50s diner and we've seen a a one-legged or one pedestal stool and so we've seen other things other than this four-legged stool and in the same way you 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 go on the internet 
you watch TV or, or you read books and you'll read about other marriages that have more than two people. Anybody watch Sister Wives? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to have to preach to you right now. But Sister Wives, and I, mean, I mean, most of us, if we, if we watch that, it's like it's a train wreck kind of a thing, right? It's like you're just looking at that just say, I, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand how they do that. I don't understand. I mean, you, and you, just, you just can't turn it off. It's, you know, it's how most of us got hooked on Duck Dynasty, right? I mean, you know, yeah, we kind of agree, but this, this is weird. You know, we just can't turn it off. We got to keep watching and keep watching. It's like the train wreck and it's the building burning down. It's like the, these families and how in the world are these four or five women living here with this one man and how do they deal? How are they not pulling each other's hair out and, and how are the kids? How does all this work? It's not supposed to work. And so we look at it as, a, as an abnormality, but here's the problem. You and I see this as an abnormality today, but another generation or two down, listen to me guys right here, another generation or two down, it will no longer be an abnormality. Because let me tell you, the, the things that you and I are seeing today in the world as far as the, the redesign of marriage was an abnormality to me just a few decades ago. To my grandparents, that will never ever happen. Marriage is this. But today we're seeing it. And right here he says, one and one, it's just, just two. It's not five, it's not 12, it's not a whole bunch, it's, it's just two. And he says it's male and female. A man and a woman, a male and female, one of each. Not two of one and one of another, not two or three or whatever, but one of each. Not male and male, not female and female, but one male and one female. It's, it, it, this is, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, of press here lately about uh, how the IRS is going to start attacking churches for making political This is not a political statement. This is, this is a statement of what God's Word says. It's not a political statement for me to stand up here and tell you this. And I know some of you are worried about, oh man, you just can't say anything anymore because they'll tell you you're making a This is not a political statement. Marriage was designed, it was created, it had a purpose and a function, and it was designed and created by God, and this is the design. All the way back to Genesis chapter three. Go ahead, you can, you can say amen with your hands. This is the design. And it gets harder and harder to live uh, as a modern family with vintage values, because the values are those that are being destroyed, or being redesigned are being challenged. Now I've got a little bit more to say about these things in just a few moments, but I wanna lay out these five things. So we've got, we've got three of them so far right here, we, right? We've got in the beginning, this is the design, and we've got that it's two, okay? Not five, not 12, not a thousand, just one man, one woman, and that it is a man and a woman, it's a male and a female. And it says, for this cause a man shall live. He didn't say boys will get married, all right? If you're not a man, if you're still a boy, then you're not married uh, material yet. Young ladies, y'all need to hear that. If he's still a boy, he is not marrying material yet. Don't, don't marry a boy, marry a man. Don't marry a girl, marry a lady. Until you're an adult, you're not marrying material yet. You are not ready to create a family until you have become an adult. Now, now today, I, I think adulthood has kind of gotten, you know, longer and longer. You know, the adolescence has, has increased or, or stretched out. I mean, you go back in, in the days of, of the Bible, you know, and I mean, people were getting married at 14, 15, 16. No, no big deal. 
You know, even, even in this country 100 years ago, it, wasn't, it was nothing to, to find a 16-year-old that was married, you know, just 100 years ago or so. I mean, so, so we're not talking about an age, we're talking about an adulthood. If you're 16 years old, you know, and you're ready for the rest of your life to go get a job and provide for a family, da 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 and do all that stuff, and you're an adult, yeah, okay, then, then, you know, according to the Scripture, then you're ready to go. But it's a man, it's not a boy. It's a, it's a lady, it's not a girl. That a man is to get married. And, and, and you know, there's, there's two ways to look at this, that it is supposed to be a man. You need to be mature. You need to be an adult. And if you're not, don't ask her to marry you. And if he's not, don't say yes. And if she's not, then don't ask. If you, and either one of you are... There's that way to look at it, but there's also this as well, is that this is another redefinition of marriage that is trying to take place in our, in our country today, is that age doesn't matter. If I love that little 12-year-old girl, I ought, I ought to be able to marry her. And you say, oh, no, that'll, uh, yeah, that's, it's already happening. It's just not happening legally, but it's already happening. I saw again the other day the, uh, another update on the Warren Jeffers, uh, that cult in, in Texas from a few years ago, you remember? And I, I mean, he was marrying every girl he could, he could get alone with. He was calling it marriage, that's what he was doing. He was having sex with 12-year-olds, every little girl in, in, in that commune that he could get alone with and calling them his wife. And vile things, and, and say, well, Pastor, don't talk about those things on Sunday, but those are the things that are happening out there. And, and, and you and I, we get a Sunday, we get a Sabbath, we get to come here, and we get to act like the world has no problems. We, we get to come do this on Sunday. And isn't it wonderful to sit here and hear this awesome music and just worship and thank God for being set free? Oh, yeah, we are set free. But there are people today who don't get a Sabbath. There are people today who are struggling. There are people today who are being abused. There are people today who are being hung who are having their, 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 their throats slit. There are people today that don't get a Sabbath, and we need to remember that. And, and, and there are those in, in our culture and society today who want to make some of those kinds of things right. The child pornography is okay. I mean, that, that, that's, that's just a, a relative term to what I'm talking, to, talking about right here is that a boy is a boy and a man is a man. A girl is a girl and a woman is a woman. And until you become that, you're not marrying material and you shouldn't even be talking about things such as. And so when, when we're not talking about sex today, but when we get to talking about sex one of these days, again, in a sermon series, pro- hopefully before February, but if it's not, we'll talk about it then, is you don't talk about sex until you're marrying material. Because the only place for sex in a relationship is in that marriage because that's what this whole thing is all about, is marriage and sex was created for the marriage bed. It is a unity, it is a bringing together, it is a oneness. When Jesus says the two shall be one flesh, that very statement is sexual in nature. And so until you're, until you're ready, until you're a man or a woman and you're ready for all of the other, you're not ready for any of it. And you're not ready for that. And the last thing he says there is he said, let no man put it asunder. Divorce is not an option. Now, my wife always gets nervous when I start talking about this because there's a lot of divorce sitting here right before me. You say, well, so what are you saying, Pastor? You're saying we've messed it up, we've, we've destroyed it. Whatever. No, and, and listen, some of you were divorced and it was no fault of your own. Others of you, you got divorced and you were the one to blame. You were the reason. But here's, here's the place where, here's what we do with this, is the place we find ourselves in right now, that's where we have to pick up and go from. You've made mistakes. 
Everybody, anybody? Is there anybody that hasn't made a mistake? Raise your hands. Anybody hasn't? Okay. We've all made mistakes, right? What do you do? You can't go back and fix all of those mistakes. You pick up from where you are. You go back and make restitution where you have to. You go back and do what you can to, to fix whatever you've done wrong, and then you just have to pick up and go from here. And so from this point on, whatever marriage you find yourself in, if it's your first, your third, or your fifth, or whatever it is, from this point on, you say divorce is not an option. That's what he's saying. And these are, these are the, 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 design, uh, the design steps, uh, the design items, the, the parts of the design that, that Christ says that God put in marriage when he created it in the first place. Is, there, is he created it? It's two people, male and female. It's for adults. For those who are mature and ready to do it, and divorce is not an option. And here's, here's what I, I need to say, and this is, this is a good place to say it because we're talking about divorce. I did this on purpose. There's a lot of things that happen to you in your life, and it's not on purpose. Sometimes divorce. Or you might find yourself as a widow. Your husband died. Your wife died. You might find yourself uh, where, where, where someone is, your spouse just left, deserted you. Sometimes things like that happen. I did that on purpose. And where you don't do things on purpose, but you just find yourself in that, there is a grace, that, that there is a power, there is a strength that God wants to help you with. And, I, and I'll tell you about that just a little bit at the end uh, also because that's there. But what you've got to do is you've got to pick up where you are right now. And you've got to say divorced, widowed, widower, single, never married, not married yet. Or maybe I've got, you know, I, I've got four exes out there, and I'm divorced a whole bunch of times and remarried and whatever, but wherever you are, that's where you pick up and you go on from there. And if, and if you're the one that has been sawing the legs off and destroying the family, there is a grace to forgive. And you can pick up from here and you can just go on. You can say, from this point on, divorce is not an option. From this point on, uh, you know, and, and also uh, many times I, I, I fail to, and I want to make sure I throw this in. I mean, uh, there is an option. I mean, if, if, if one person ha has sex outside of, of that marriage covenant, if they commit adultery, then yes, that is, that is an excuse. But there are many that say still divorce is not an option. How do you do that? How do you do that? How, 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 do you, how is it that you can be married to somebody and, and, and they have an affair and you can say, but divorce is not an option. Can I tell you something? You will not be able to do it in the marriage that you design. But in the design that God creates and the grace that he gives you because he has shed that grace into your life, you'll be able to turn around. And I'm not saying everybody can and that you're wrong if you didn't, but if there are times, and that's how it happens is because then the grace can also be given to somebody else. That if you're the if you're the if you're the party that has that has been that has done wrong, there is grace. But no matter who has done wrong, if 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 your marriage isn't perfect, and no, none are. But if you've hurt it, or if you've if you've made mistakes or whatever, there is a strength and there's a power to help you go with it. But let me show you a couple things that that aren't here in these verses. Okay, the first one is a boss. Did y'all see a boss in not chapters nineteen, verse four through six? 
I didn't see a boss mentioned anywhere. Here, here's the definition of a boss. A person who exercises control or authority. See, I, one of the reasons I want to throw this in is because I'm about to read some other scriptures from the New Testament, and some people think that uh, what Paul is talking about is he's talking about a man being a boss. I don't see anywhere in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, or in the book of Genesis, or in any of the writings of Paul where Paul says that the man is supposed to be the boss. There is not a boss there anywhere. Let me tell you, something else is not there. Is there are no princesses. Y'all know what a princess is? Now, I could have given you just a regular old definition, but I ran across the Urban Dictionary definition of a princess, so I had to give it to you. A girl that has been pampered, sheltered, and spoiled her whole life to the extent that she has no idea about the real world. There are no princesses in God's design for a marriage. So when I was talking about the, the men, and not just princesses, but even if you're a guy, but this is who you are and raised like this, that's, you're still a boy then, you're not ready to get married just yet. Until you understand what the real world is about. To some extent, and you know, as long as you think it's all about you, you are not ready to get married yet. Because when you get married, you know, most of you right here, and we got some scattered around, but right here, you singles, right now you're number one. You're number one, two, three, four, ten. I mean, you're everything, right? I mean, you are it. But when you get married, you become number two. And you have your first child, you become number three. And your second child, four, five, you just keep moving down the list. And when you start having grandkids, guess what? You keep moving down the list. The moment you say, I do, you will never be number one again. So you better enjoy it while you can because you're number one right now. And you never will ever be again. So make sure you don't do that. You don't say, I do. You don't, you don't uh, accept the opportunity to say I do until you're mature. You're not a princess and you're not a boss because there's no place for a boss or a princess in a marriage. A little bit more about the design from Ephesians. This is quite a few verses of scripture, so I'm gonna read through them pretty quick and I'm gonna come back and show you three quick things, I hope, three quick things and we'll be done. This is uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. This is that that bombshell that I was talking about just a few minutes ago that some people say, oh, he's talking about that. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay, let me, let me say this. Submit doesn't mean get down on your knees and say whatever you want, dear. That's not what it means, okay? Because if you go back to verse 21, you know what it says? Verse 21 says, submit to one another. Me submit to her, her submit to me. And then he says, okay, this is what this means, ladies. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You know, that doesn't mean in everything like every little decision, every little stupid idea he gets. That's not what that means. Submit to your husband. You know why it says as to the Lord? Because it's going to show us here in just a few minutes what it means. Okay, hang on with me. You'll see why it says as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church, not the boss. He is the savior of his body, the church. Okay, still not the boss. I'll explain this in just a few moments. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And now it goes on. Now look at this, what he says. For the husbands, this is what this means to submit. It means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. You know how Christ loved the church? He died for it. Okay, so, so some people think, oh, well, we got to let the husbands make all the decisions. No, that's not what that means. But you know, if that's what it means, you still get the better end of the deal because all you, do, all you have to do is let him make a few decisions. You just, you just give him a few decisions. He's got to give you his everything. That's what it calls us to, man. It calls us to love her like Christ loved his church. 
He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Listen to this, what he's saying here. Why did he do it to make her holy and clean? He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Why did he die for her? Why did he die for us? And what is it, why is it he, that he's pointing this out right now? Because he wants us to see ourselves, guys. He wants us to see ourselves in this. Uh, instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their, own, their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Not, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. And then, wrap it up with, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents the Lord, for this is right. Now, that's weird, isn't it? It kind of stuck it. Well, it's because I went through to verse 1 of chapter 6. I'll explain why in just a few moments, okay? So let's back up, and let's see again the design of the marriage, of the home, of the family. And the first thing we see is we see the husband who is a type of Christ, or a, 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 there's a picture of Christ in the husband within the family. There's a, he's a type of Christ, and, and that's why the scripture says, says there, it begins and says, okay, now, why is this what it means to you, is to submit to him as to the Lord. Because what he's gonna do is he's supposed to die for you every single day. He's supposed to be living for you. You know, you know how he talked to you when y'all were dating? That's how he's supposed to keep treating you the rest of your life. Okay? He wasn't supposed to just talk like that until you said, I do, but he's supposed to treat, treat you like that for the rest of your life. He is, he is a type of Christ, meaning that he is, he is there to, as priest. He is there to make sure that there is word in the home. You know, if there's not any word in the home, that's not up to the wife. That's really supposed to be up to the husband. He is the priest, the priest of the home. So when, when it says he is head, it doesn't mean he makes all the decisions. It means he's head, he's got to run this thing, and he's got to look and say, what's not right here? And he's got to work, do everything he can to fix and make it right. If there's not enough money, he gets a second job. If there's not enough word, he gets the Bible out. He does things, he finds a way to get the word. If the kids are misbehaving, I mean, that, that's what he does, right? I mean, he comes home, finds out who I got to spank today, right? I mean, that, that sometimes seems like all it is. You know, which one of the kids was a problem today? But it, that's the job of the husband, the priest, to make sure things are right in the home. And protection. And when we think of protection, I know what you think of protection. You think about, you know, getting your 44 and strapping it on, you know, on your side. That's what we think of protection. We think of getting an alarm system. We, we think of protection. But what was Christ doing? He wasn't just protecting his church from, from death. He was protecting his church from impurities. He was protecting his church from the things that make it unclean. He was building fences and parameters around and saying, don't go here because this will make you unclean. Don't do this. And he was building the fences. And so it is a husband's job to also protect the family. When it first begins, it's just you and the wife, and so it's just you and her, but it begins... It comes on down to the kids as well, eventually one day. But where it begins is it begins with you and your wife. Can, can, can I tell you something? I have never in my life ever wanted another man to come up to me, nudge me, and say, let me tell you something, your wife is smoking hot today. Anybody, I mean, if you ever wanted somebody to tell you that's the way your wife looks, I think some, some people in this world do, because I look and I, I say, I cannot believe 
that this lady is married and that her husband sees her dressed like she's dressed. I don't want people to say that my wife is smoking hot. You don't have to tell me that. I know that. That's why we got married, okay? That's why I was Twitter painted. When I was eight years old, I saw those green eyes shining. I know. I mean, even at eight years old, I knew she was smoking hot in a little different way, I guess. But yeah, I knew it even then. I don't want anybody to tell me that. I want somebody to look at my wife and I want them to see the real beauty that is her. You know, and she won't get there by me introducing her to every movie that I can think of. She won't get there by me introducing her to internet porn. She won't get there by me introducing her to things that are vile and ugly and filthy. She will get there by me building a hedge around her. And sometimes, guys, we have to walk that out. We have to actually stand up, throw our shoulders back, and say, no, we got to do something different here. I can think of one of those instances kind of early in our marriage. We were invited over to somebody's house just, just for dinner and to talk and get to know them. And I was already in ministry. And they said, hey, there's a movie I rented today. I wanted to see, you know, it was made in Birmingham. You need to see this movie. So, okay. So we started watching it. Wasn't long into it. You know, I'm diverting my eyes. I'm looking around. You know, I'm not watching the TV anymore. My wife is still sitting there too, though. And not, you know, and I'm trying to protect myself. Don't let that stuff get in me and whatever. But my wife is still sitting there. And this stuff, and, and I'm battling and I'm knocking it down. And I'm trying to make sure it doesn't get into me. But there she is, and it's getting into her, and it's coming into her ears. She's seeing it with her eyes and having to look away too quick before it really gets in there. She's having to deal with this and get there. I will not make my wife more pure by subjecting her to the filth of this world. And what I should have done is said, you know, why don't you guys go ahead and watch that movie? Yes, you know, you know, we probably just need to get on home. And we just need to get, guys, sometimes we have to stand up and we have to say, let me tell you this, I didn't have time to finish this last week, but it fits good right here perfectly. You know, there was a time when God needed to get a group of people into a place where they could worship him and serve him as they felt led to, and not according to what the rulers of the day said. And so he took them to another land and they started another country. They started a new nation, and it was obvious that this nation was all about God. It was all about worshiping Him. But after several, several, several years, they started noticing other nations and other peoples. And the things that they worshiped and the things that they, the places they went, the things that they did, and they started to say, ah, you know, I'd kind of like to try that too. And they started thinking, they started contemplating and said, you know what, we really won't lose our walk with God if we just do this thing like they do and we just do this thing like they do. And pretty soon they started picking up all the things that everybody else idolized. And no longer were they following along just in their thing, but they, follow, they were following everybody else's thing. Sound familiar? Sounds a little bit like the United States of America today. But you know what it also sounds like? There was another man, another dad, another priest of his home that faced the same thing. God took Israel out of Egypt where they could only worship the way the Pharaoh said they could and took them to a place where they could worship him completely, totally as he wanted them to. But after a while, they started picking up 
the things that everybody else around them idolized. All the gods that the people around them idolized, or the people, as it, as it says, on the other side of the river. Before we got over here and we were over there, you remember those? Some of y'all picked up those idols too, Joshua said. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, he declares this. Guys, sometimes we have to put on our big boy pants and we have to make some declarations. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, he's speaking to the nation of Israel. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river before we got over here, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell right now. But as for me and my house, but as for me and my house, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what it means to be head of the house. It doesn't mean making all the decisions. It doesn't mean that everybody else has to be quiet, you get your way. It means making the declaration that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and that you do whatever it takes to make sure the family does that. There's another person in this marriage though, isn't there? And, and it's the wife. Just very quickly, I'll tell you that she's the type of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you, if you think about what a wife does, what a wife wants, that's exactly, I mean, and look at the scripture right here. John chapter 14, verses 16 and verse 26. Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Okay, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but look how this, look how this mirrors the place of a wife and the family. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's going to be there. I don't have time to give you all the scriptures about what the Holy Spirit does. But Jesus is talking about the wife, and he says, here's what she's going to do. She's going to be the helper. She's going to be your strength. She's going to be standing there with you. When you, have to, when you feel like you're the only, man, the only man standing anymore for God and you're building up the walls around your family, I'm giving you a helper, a wife, a one who will be along beside you, who will stand there with you and say, yes, I'm with you in this. Let's build it. Let's make it strong. Let's raise great children. And let's keep them from the evil day that is out there among them. She's all about peace. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. He's the comforter. She's all about strengthening and taking care. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about as well. And you, you, you just, you want to you see a, a mom get riled, you come after one of her kids. Come on, somebody. Amen. That's the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says that when the enemy begins to come in like a flood, the Spirit of God raises up a standard and drives against the enemy. Oh, I, I've got two moms in my family, one that I'm married to in my life, one that I'm married to, and one that raised me. And let me tell you, both of them know something about calling the power of God to stand up against the power of the enemy and driving against him and pushing him out of the house. You know what? That's the kind of wife, the kind of mom that I've had and both those women. And that's the kind of wife every one of you deserve, you guys. And that's the kind, of, the man that I was describing, if you want, that's the kind of man every one of you ladies deserve. But we mess up, don't we? We don't always get it done and get it done right, do we? And sometimes we've just totally blown it, haven't we? How do you fix this? You know, the world's way is start all over, right? So let's get divorced and start all over with somebody I hadn't messed up with, right? Isn't that, that's the world's way. 
How can I use this? Anybody got any ideas? Put the pieces back together. Or you could lean it up against another stable place. Works just fine. You see, for those of you who have messed up and you've destroyed it, there is a place of strength that you can always lean against. He can fix what's broken. He can strengthen what is weak. He can empower and bring back to life, resurrect what has died, if you'll let him. I want to ask you, if you will, would you stand and come to the front with me? And I want to ask all the families to come to, to just get together in their families. Last week, we prayed over the heads of the house, and mostly dads, but a bunch of you are single, and you're the head of your own house. So if you're single, you're not married yet, you need to be listening to all that because right now you're having to be the, the head, and you're having to be the support and the peace and all that too. And until you get there, God's going to help you with that. Some of you are divorced. Some of you were divorced and not remarried. You don't yet have another spouse or maybe never or you're, you're a widow or whatever. You're having to beat both those, right? I mean, I mean we've got some widows and widowers in our, in our congregation that they're having to be both that and probably will be for the rest of their life. They'll have to be the husband and the wife. They won't have that person there. But that's, what, that's when God steps in and he is that strength. He is that support, that one you can count on. There's one last, and I, did, I didn't share this one yet. And I, every family doesn't have children, right? I don't mean just right now. I mean, some families never have kids in their family, in their home. But wherever there are kids, God's design for kids is, if we're going to make it strong, for them to be obedient and respectful. Are there any children in this room? Anybody have parents? Anybody in this room have parents? Just a few of you? How'd the rest of y'all get here? Every one of us are kids. And you know, there, come, there, there, there came a day that I wasn't obedient to everything that my mom and dad maybe wanted me to do because now I'm married, you got to do it my way. That was also the day they really quit telling me so much of what to do. But there will never be a day that I will be free from the command of God to respect my parents. And even though things change as you get older, as they get older, things change. Sometimes you find yourself taking care of them now. I know some of you are that, that way. You, you, you've got days and every, every week that you go and you have to take care. And things have reversed. But you are never free from the command to respect your parents. And this is the structure that God has given us. And it, 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 we weaken it, we destroy it. This, this, this society, this culture we live in, man, it's, it's working hard to destroy it because that's what we want to do. We want to do it our way, but we still want it to work. And how foolish. Why don't, we just, why don't we just find a way that's supposed to work and just do it that way? See, again, man, this is awesome stuff for y'all. Y'all ain't messed up yet. Y'all ain't cutting legs off yet, you know? All of us, we've messed up some legs. We might not have cut any off yet, but we've really boogered some up really, really bad. 
They're really weak and some things, but you guys haven't done that yet. Do everything you can. Here's the thing. Let me wrap this up. I, I, I got one more sermon in this series, and it's next week, and we're going to talk, we're really talking about parenting and kids and, and those things. You guys need to hear this because, again, we've, we've already messed up our kids. Y'all haven't messed any up yet. You know, if you don't have them, right, you need to hear this. We're going to be bringing the kids in at the end of the service and do it like a dedication over family. So please be here. Be here with your kids next week and hear this last message. But it really makes me not want to stop and say amen and let's close this service because I know this is the last time for several weeks that I'm going to talk about marriage and, and, and the design and the roles. But here, here's the thing. For a marriage to be what it's supposed to be, it's got it's to operate in the design God called it to be designed with. That means you have to fulfill the role that you have. Are you a husband? Be the man. Are you a wife? Are you a mom? Raise up, just like the Holy Spirit does against those things coming against your family. Men and women have been sitting down too long and watching the enemy destroy families in this country. We need men and women to raise up and if you're a child, stand with them. You might not like every decision they make, but stand with them anyway. Because you're going to make mistakes too, and you'll want your kids one day to honor you in the decisions you make.